Here we go, episode 11 of Talking Taker. Thank you for joining us yet again on our encyclopedic exploration, digging up the career of the greatest WWF, WWE professional wrestling superstar and creation of all time. Thank you for coming in yet again for another edition of Dead Man Talking. I am joined here alongside me, my tag team partner, Travis White. How you doing, buddy? I am excellent. I'm excited to talk about this match. Me this too. Show. Me too. My name's Alex Dorio. I don't know if I threw that out there, but uh, hopefully you know that by now. Episode number 11. We're into year number four of The Undertaker in the WWF. And it's flown we, by, man. It is flown by. Yeah. Flown by when you only have four shows a year. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We're going to... It's going to... We'll get through 94 pretty quick in just uh, three weeks, but then uh, things will finally start to uh, slow down, spread out a bit as we get into 95 and the in-your-house pay-per-views come into play and uh, we get into the monthly pay-per-view era. But uh, it's fun because this is our first Royal Rumble show that we're covering. I just realized that, so it'll be interesting. Royal Rumble 1994, Um, definitely a fun... A uh, fun stop on, on this ride through The Undertaker's career, uh, a unique one, an interesting one. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, I wanted to uh, mention something. You know, we're, we're going through not just The Undertaker's career, but really uh, the, the history of wrestling over the past 27 years. And we're really, we're talking too a lot about what it, what it was like to grow up as a fan during these times mm-hmm. because um, we lived them out. Uh, we've been around um, more or less for, for the majority of the Undertaker's journey as fans. Uh, so, you know, we might have some younger listeners on here who just experienced it on the WWE network or, uh, or things like that. But Travis, you mentioned something uh, a couple episodes ago, a couple episodes ago, just, I don't even remember what you were talking about, but, uh, something that i thought uh it just sparked something uh in my mind i missed it when you said it on the show but you talked about um being a kid and being at the grocery store and uh going over to the magazine section and going through all the wrestling magazines while your mom shopped around in the grocery store and that uh is such a uh time-specific unique vivid memory that i relate to uh as well just this uh (laughs) you know there are still a few wrestling magazines out there Uh, i see them at the drugstore every now and then uh it's just funny to see pro wrestling illustrated or uh, i don't even know what else is left i think that one still publishes a print issue but yeah when you were a kid or when we were kids i remember specifically when mom would go to the grocery store, I would ask if I could go with her because that meant, yes. yeah, yes. that meant I could go see all the new wrestling magazines. Absolutely. And there were, there were like at least half a dozen of them uh, oh, back you then. Had, you had Pro Wrestling Illustrated, you had WWE Mag- or Raw magazine at one point, WCW had a magazine, you had uh, WOW, which was World of Wrestling, mm-hmm. I remember. That was always a really flashy cover. They had yeah. really good, it was more expensive. Yeah, um, it was. I mean, at least those four or five, and yeah, sometimes those other ones too, you know, but, oh man, yeah, I loved going, mom, you going to CVS or Revco back then? Yeah. I would go with you, I'd go just walk in the, you know, walk in the magazine aisle and pick up every one and basically read them all there. <laughs> so, 
And not only does that not exist, but just this whole notion of, you know, our parents would just leave us in one half of the grocery store or the drugstore by ourselves <laughs> to just sit there for 20 or 30 minutes uh, with no supervision or anything. And that, I feel like that just doesn't happen anymore either. Parents just letting their kids just hang out uh, in one section of the store or, or whatever, just without them. Uh, and right. I, but I did. I would sit there and I wouldn't move for for 20 minutes and, and get to read through all the magazines and nobody bothered me and I never I mean yeah. I was uh, I was happy as could be getting to, to read all this uh, kayfabe analysis of, of the wrestling oh, yeah. business uh, it was it was great uh, good memories. I remember looking at like PWI 500 you know when it yeah. would come out I that always was exciting. flipped straight to the straight to that section and see who number one was yep. and everything. I remember even like, you know, in middle school when you'd spend a night or I'd spend a night, we like, our moms would go like, let's go, let's go with her, you know, like, <laughs> spend that at my house, like, I'd go with her, you know. We'd go stand there in the aisle and look, to, you know, we, that would cover a lot more ground with the two of us together. True, so. yeah, we'd get through a lot of stuff. <laughs> this is pre, pre-big internet stuff, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. something about holding that magazine in your hand, man, and just seeing the, getting the ink on your fingers and Knowing that magazine, and uh, it was just—it was really cool, man. I mean, and you really did like I—you discovered stuff. I, I learned a yeah. lot of stuff oh, yeah. about wrestling, and yeah, like I said, you know, there—it was still written uh, with with kayfabe in mind, and they're, they're still putting the storylines over as if they're mm-hmm. they're real and everything. But they also would talk about independent stuff in there. Yeah. They would talk about. Mexican stuff, Japanese stuff. Uh, it wouldn't get as much coverage as the WWE or WCW, but I mean, I learned about ECW really through those I was magazines. Just about to say that that's how I came to know ECW. Honestly, at first was through those magazines. Yeah, it yeah. sounded like the coolest thing ever, and they would show pictures of Raven and Terry Funk with blood pouring off their face, yeah. and I'm like, "What is this?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted to bring that up because I, I forgot to. Somehow I missed it when you said it last time, but this show that we're talking about today, Royal Rumble 94, I have another pretty era-specific memory when it comes to this show, and that is that uh, when I've probably, I I think I said Survivor Series 90, I've seen that show maybe more than any other. This one is probably right there, right up there with it, because... uh, I rented this show when it came out, rented it from the video store, and for some reason, my mom made a copy of this tape for Ooh, me. Yeah. She would like, she broke the uh, broke the rules. I think we're past the statute of limitations yeah. on the FBI uh, laws and everything, <laughs> FBI warning on there. But I guess maybe like I didn't get in to watch it in time before it the the. Uh, it had to be back before you got the late fee, so she yeah. hooked the two VCRs together and made Perfect. me a copy of it and, and burned me a, a copy of this tape. And so I, I watched this tape for uh, all the time, all the time after then. I was eight years old or whatever, and I was obsessed with it. So That's awesome. <laughs> I was just talking about how we used to dub uh, videos on VCR uh, to someone else this past weekend, so that's funny. That you mentioned that, but yeah. yeah, that's awesome that your mom did that for you. So you know what, your mom's come up a lot on this uh, podcast. She <laughs> she has indulged uh, indulged my wrestling fandom in, in many many ways. Yeah, she's an honorary member. Probably come up some more. Take your nation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why she could have <laughs> she could have pushed me in a lot better directions, but for no some way. reason she went along with it. No way. <laughs> <laughs> if it weren't for 
weren't for her, we wouldn't be here today doing this. That's true. Um, this show probably really is perfect for that age, uh, like eight to twelve years old. It oh, is yeah. goofy. It is silly. It is over the top. But man, maybe it's. I'm sure it is a little bit of nostalgia. But I was so entertained going back and watching this uh, the whole build up the whole match from from beginning to end i loved every second uh, of this experience of royal rumble 94 of this match what about you oh yeah i was just <clears throat> before we started recording i was saying how this this how so much happens at this pay-per-view to set up wrestlemania which i guess you had to because you didn't have any anything you know except for raw and superstars in between but um no big pay-per-view but it's just I watched way more than just the Undertaker match on mm-hmm. this. I didn't watch the whole Royal Rumble because I know how it goes, but I yeah. watched pretty much every other match on this. Um, so much. One of my favorite promos of all time, Owen Hart, kick your leg out of your leg. <laughs> That's my favorite thing right. ever. Setting that up. You know, this is um, setting up the one of the greatest ladder matches, the first official ladder match, I guess, in WWE, WWF at the time. You know, sets that up, sets up Brett and Owen. Yep. Um, the main event, you know, the Royal Rumble sets up, you know, the story of Lex Luger trying to get his title shot back and, you know, Bret Hart, he and Bret being the first co-winners and all that stuff. It's just so cool and so nostalgic, you know. But again, I watched, I was sucked into most of the pay-per-view, you know, and then, uh, of course, the best part, in my opinion, is this match. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even though it's not, like, just from a storytelling standpoint, again, because we keep saying this, and this one's not a, uh, a wrestling Kurt Angle, you know, wrestling clinic or anything, but the storytelling is perfect. It is, in my opinion, and uh, it's just it's great. And like you said, hokey, cheesy, but in 1994, you know, as a seven or eight year old kid, it's it's right up your alley, man. Um, This is, of course, where we're getting to Undertaker versus Yokozuna for the WWF Championship in a casket match. Uh, Yes, moved on from the. Coffin to the casket. Officially so. in casket match era, we're that we last left off Survivor Series '93 <laughs> with Undertaker and Yokozuna getting uh, both counted out uh, from the Survivor Series match, All Americas versus Foreign Fanatics. So Undertaker has challenged Yokozuna to put the title on the line, and um, we get a glimpse at the buildup before the match, which is really worth watching maybe even more so oh, than the yeah. match but yeah. uh <laughs> yeah. for the, it, it just to set the stage a little bit um jim Cornette, uh yokozuna's american spokesperson and mr fuji uh try to sneak something into the contract that says the undertaker this will be the only title shot he ever gets against yokozuna which is the same thing they did with lex luger back at SummerSlam 93 but Undertaker one-ups them by Paul Bearer slipping into the contract when it gets mailed back to Jim Cornette or whatever that this is, they accept that this will be the only title shot he gets, but this will also be a casket match. And wouldn't you know it, Yokozuna happens to have a fear of caskets. Don't don't say what, don't say, don't say that word. What word, casket? Don't say, stay at wet, 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 Yoko, it's okay. Okay, you're gonna call me down. Do not say that word. Yeah, what are the odds of that? Yeah, <laughs> we talked about that in the Kamala match. You know, all these big. There's something about big fat wrestlers. You know, you know, <laughs> they hate. They, they hate, hate caskets. Uh, caskets. They're afraid. 
Cascophobia, you know, coffinphobia. I'm not sure. <laughs> but yeah, what do you know? How convenient. You know, he has a fear of caskets. But again, it is cool to see because, again, at Survivor Series, not Survivor Series, yeah, Survivor Series, he had that little bit of, you know, it wet the audience's appetite. He had that little bit of fear when he couldn't really um, get the Undertaker down or whatever. And then just to see him actually scared because at this point, he'd been champion. When he, was he champion since? Since King of the Ring. In the ring, yeah. Yeah. So he's been champion for a long time. Long time. You know? <clears throat> and uh, he's pretty much dominated. Never, he's been fearless. So to see him have this chink in his armor is really cool storytelling, you know. And they're going to build on that as the as they get to the match. But all yeah, all the promos. I mean, we could pretty much just hit play on the promo. Yeah. Before uh, before here's so many cool things. Uh, they show Undertaker. Five. He's he's gone with Paul Bearer. I guess they did one every week. They they yeah. Undertaker's back in his uh, wood shop. Building uh, Yokozuna's casket step by step, which is just what a handyman. What I love handyman. this idea. Yes, yeah, he, he I love goes. It. <laughs> he just works he night and day. Do it. He does it though. He shows him doing iron work. You know, he's heating yep. up the metal and beating it, and he's uh, basically making a stake. You know, he's a he's a whittling wood and stuff. It's a double wide, double deep casket. Yes, excuse Bear. me, double wide, yeah. double deep. <laughs> they got they and, specify that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, a lot. That is burned into my brain, man. Double wide, double <laughs> yeah. deep. I'll never forget yeah. that. But Yokozuna put my Undertaker stuffed shoe into this double wide, double deep casket and slams a lid shut. There, there on the inside, inscribed, glowing in the dark, will say... Rest in peace. However, I was a little let down because when they actually showed the finished product, there was no rest in peace glowing on no, the outside. So. They, I guess they couldn't figure out how, how to do that, but <laughs> they have the nice yeah. plush lining in there. It's beautiful. It, it is. It looks very, very comfortable. Um, and of course, this is all going on from between November Survivor and- Series and and uh, Royal Rumble, so they have one week where it's Christmas, and they have a wreath oh. on the casket. Yes. Uh, then they talk oh. about New Year's resolutions. Um, oh, one yeah, Undertaker says ho, ho, ho. That's awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. That is great. And, yeah, and uh, yeah, I made my New Year's resolution, Yokozuna, may you rest in peace. So that's Undertaker's resolution is that Yoko will rest in peace. So there's yeah. just so many puns, man. Paul Bear calls uh, it the, the new 1994 model or vehicle yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. 1994 model of the casket. And then probably the best quote um, in this whole thing is... Uh, you and that rotting flesh you call an entourage you've made a big mistake. Yokozuna I don't make mistakes. I bury them. So good. I love that. And you commented the other day, that should be a t-shirt. That's a t-shirt right yeah, there. Yeah, t-shirt. He's got so many things, though. The only thing you'll hear is the hounds of hell bang for your soul. Fear not. You shouldn't be afraid. You should be terrified. Um, and that last one he said is when he's standing outside the wood shop. That's when uh, <laughs> Paul Bear is in a coach, basically, and he's got the double wide, double deep behind him, and he pulls away, and Undertaker's standing behind him, like, 
some kind of David Blaine magic trick. And I, I remember seeing that when I was younger and just thinking how cool that was. So, but he um, left Undertaker behind. He, he drove yeah, off he without. Did. Him. Yeah, forgot left, left Undertaker the there. So. Um, so we see all those, and then we see uh, um, some of these mind games that Undertaker is also playing. Yeah. with Yokozuna, and he's sending the casket out there uh, to the ring. <laughs> so it cracked me up when uh, they push the casket out there and Yoko's out there and like him and Mr. Fuji are talking to each other. Vince is in the ring interviewing them and he's he's like... Mr. Fuji has just given Yokozuna orders to... What's he going to do? Squash the casket? He's just aghast that he would even <laughs> think about doing that. So... Apparently, Yoko thinks he's going to just jump and destroy the casket. And, of course, he lifts up the door and Undertaker's in the casket, pops up. And uh, Yokozuna falls flat on his back, rolls out of the ring. It's just, I mean, so perfect. I love every second of it. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Like you said, mind games, you know, he's playing those mind games, which, and he did with a little bit with Kamala and does it here. And it's going to be one of his things he's going to. Kind of, you know, be known for honestly as his, you know, his, his as we see his character progress and grow throughout the years. So it was pretty. I'm glad you pointed that out. That was cool. I mean, what what I love about it is, I don't think, aside from Survivor Series, which when they were in the match, but from then till Royal Rumble, I don't think they touched each other. Nope. And, and you know, they were hardly ever even in the ring together, and yet. This whole feud was built up. It had context to it. It had nuance to it. It hyped you up for the match, and they didn't once have to ever physically interact with each other, much less be in oh. a match with each other. They didn't trade pinfalls back and forth. They didn't have a tag. They no. didn't have you know. Nowadays, you'd be in you know tag team matches every week until you get to the actual thing or whatever. But yeah, they were in. Even if they yeah, like you said, they were in the same building, but. Undertaker may not have been there. He might have been on a, a promo backstage, and mm-hmm. then Yokozuna's in the ring, you know? And so it was just, it was such good storytelling, you know? It really was. It really was. So, um, and all that stuff with managers and, and contract negotiations and stuff, you just don't see that anymore, really, mm-hmm. either. And I miss storylines like that that made you feel like you were watching, like, a real sport. And, it, yeah. and uh, you know... The, the great thing about the managers throwing in contract clauses and all this sort of stuff is that um, when some when the heel loses or, or, or the baby face or whatever, it kind of gives them an out. And the manager can take the heat for it and the wrestler doesn't lose their heat. And the manager is the one that gets to go out and, and make excuses. You don't have the wrestler coming out there making excuses. They still look strong. They don't look like yeah. they're out there crying about it. The manager is able to take the heat off of them. Um, and we get that with Heyman nowadays, but it's the exception it. instead of you know, the common thing. Yeah. Like it was back yeah, then. There's no, nobody else besides Paul Heyman. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, man. But yeah, and, and you know what? Yokozuna's got two managers. He so. does. Double the <laughs> He's fun. He's so big, he needs two managers. Two great managers. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, Who come into play during this match. They do. Uh, so let's get to it. Uh, Yokozuna comes out with Fuji and Cornette. First. Yep. Comes out first. Comes Champions out first. Comes out first. That's kind of rare. Cornette looking ridiculous in his well, tuxedo. Yeah. I love it. Beautiful uh, tuxedo with uh, two uh, sequined rackets on the back. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
DiBiase's on commentary too here. Yeah, we should mention commentary. Uh, we uh, said goodbye to Bobby Heenan on the commentary team on our last episode, and now we're at the. We're, we're going to hit some unique commentary teams uh, yeah. over the next period, but here we get the I think the only time ever on pay per view at least of Vince McMahon and the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase on commentary. Um, yeah, I'll. Uh... I don't mind if it's not them again next month. <laughs> uh, they weren't. It wasn't bad. It's just you know you really miss Bobby Heenan. <laughs> you really uh, do. Or Jim Ross, even you know. So anyway. I thought it was fine. It was fine. Kind of forgettable, but uh, I feel like if DiBiase had stuck to it, he probably could have gotten pretty good with it. But for some sure. reason, I get. I don't know if he didn't like it or Vince didn't like him on there. But yeah, it was. He didn't really stick on the commentary beat. Uh, went into managing he definitely does his part here as far as like he talks about you know as the heel he says um it's not fair because undertaker gets to have his match that he's never lost in you know uh this is the one time only matchup they're ever going to have and talks about it's no pinfall no count out submission or dq really stressing the no dq because that will come into play here yes yes uh, in, they do. in about seven minutes into the match so um but uh, yeah you, we said yoko's out and then the gong hits and i we keep beating this dead horse, but the crowd just pops huge. huge. Um, so big, such a big pop. And Paul Bear comes out pushing that double wide, double deep gasket. And, and the urn resting on top. And yep. honestly, I didn't see Undertaker for a few seconds until finally he popped up behind him, like, walking. They talk about how he's a shadowy figure walking behind him. And Vince says, That's a, that is a phenom. Which, uh, again, I think, uh, I remember him saying that about... Uh, who was that? One of our first podcasts we did, Vince said that about Jimmy somebody Snooker. who was wrestling. Huh? Jimmy Snooker. Snooker, I think, yeah. But here he calls, you know, Undertaker the phenom. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we've had that said since. So, again, we're building to the the Undertaker lore and building this to what we now know as the Undertaker. So I just thought that was notable. So Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We're seeing that here. And, um, you know, I feel like this is um, – this was a pretty big proving ground for both these guys. Yeah. You know, Undertaker, he, he had that little brush in the main event of uh, back in 91, won the title and everything, but then kind of shuffled back down. Like, he was, like we've talked about, he was still a huge star and used in these big yeah. roles, but now they're really, they're putting him in the top spot for the championship. And um, two pretty young guys here i mean i don't know yeah. how old they were what their exact ages were but pretty young guys and we're moving well, away from hogan and, and yeah. savage and warrior and that sort of stuff uh even bret hart been around for a long time uh at that point but sure yeah this is this is a pretty big well, proving ground for them i remember saying back when we talked about undertaker winning the title and at the time he was the youngest champion and the person that took that accomplishment from him was yokozuna yeah so yokozuna would have been I don't know, 26 or I haven't looked it up, but probably 26 or something, too. So, you know, yeah, you're right. They're both young. That's a very good, you know, uh, analysis there because, yeah, it's, uh, Hulk Hogan is gone, right, at this point. Yeah, he, he's um, not in WCW yet, but he's gone from WWE. Yeah, so he had his little comeback in 93, and but he's gone now, and Ric Flair's been long gone, and, yeah, Warrior's not around. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Randy Savage is... Is he, he's not he's even, there. Is he there? He's in the Royal Rumble. Yeah, but he's not doing, you know, well, that's right, he's in the Rumble. He's not doing, you know, too much. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, it's kind of this, you know, new generation type thing. Yeah. You know? So, it's and, really cool. Uh, you, know, you can again, tell that's part of the reason we're doing this podcast too is talk about how Undertaker's been there through all of these different eras. Yeah, he's been the the you know the steady rock in, in all of it. So, and you can tell Yoko's young because he's he's sporting a man bun. He's super hipster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was a millennial hipster back in '94, ahead of his time. And, Although uh, you don't see many uh, hipsters that fast. So. That that <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, I could probably—I was gonna name some, but uh, I'll refrain. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's kind of crazy that you know as the match starts and they—I mean—they go in high gear, man. Like, oh, yeah, Yokozuna, five hundred, over five hundred pounds at this point. Um, For a shoot. Yeah, yeah, but he out of these four years that we've been watching Undertaker. This 500-pound guy is the first person that, like, can go with yeah. Undertaker. And, like, they're going, like, oh, yeah. more than Hogan, more than Jake Roberts, Jimmy Snuka, Kamala, Gonzalez, any of these guys. I mean, he is going uh, at his – and they're going fa- – like, it's this match is a sprint, man. They, oh, they yeah. go at it, and I, I loved it. I loved it. They go so fast. I mean, I, was, I made a note later on that Yokozuna looks gassed at the end, but I would have been too. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got me by – 300-something pounds, you know? Yeah. But, like, yeah, but you're right. They come out of the gates as fast and, you know, don't really let up, honestly. You know? He has a little breathing room, Yoko does, at the end. Well, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but he looks me, He looks gassed, you know? But, yeah, that's a great uh, point because he really is, a, you know, the first opponent that, you know, I don't know, has a, you know, really goes with Undertaker, you know? Mm-hmm. And they just come out, you know, throat thrust and clotheslines, but they, he doesn't, he doesn't get nudged in the clotheslines until Undertaker gets a flying clothesline mm-hmm. and knocks him down. Mm-hmm. Um, which I was honestly a little surprised that he went down so quickly. But um, it just it's getting over the power of the Undertaker, which is kind of the story of this whole match. Yeah, they've the talked about how he was able yeah. to kick out of the uh, two bonsai drops or whatever mm-hmm. at Survivor Series, but so Yoko was going to have to hit him with three or four or five or something like that to, yeah. to get him into the casket. And it, sorry, if you hear my dog in the background. She. She gets stir crazy when we do these podcasts, so you might have heard, might have heard Rosie and some of the other ones, uh, but she's super, super rambunctious right now. So sorry about that. <laughs> oh, and one of my favorite parts is uh, right near the beginning, he knocks Yokozuna down and throat thrust and knocks him out of the ring, and Yokozuna goes out of the ring, and then he runs himself into the ring post. <laughs> he, just, he just walks toward it and bonk, like smacks into it. And the, I mean, it was on purpose. It wasn't like a botch, but uh, yeah. I just thought it was funny. He just, it was like he was knocked loopy, you know, and then he just runs himself into it. And I just wrote awesome. And uh, then they have a really cool callback to Survivor Series. Yeah. Where he, he hits Taker's head into the stairs, and Taker's unfazed, and he hits Yokozuna's head into the stairs. Commentary catches it. We caught it, you know. And I just thought I love those little nuances, those little throwbacks to the story, you know, because again, there's a story being told here, and it's really cool to see that. So it's a great spot. Um, they go back in the ring, and Taker hits the the old school, which was still pretty new school at that point. Yeah. Uh, he Taker shines for a while, and Yoko cuts him off a little bit, and they head outside and uh, bring the chair, uh, steel yeah. chair, into play. Gets a headshot in there. Oh, uncomfortable uh, to watch in 2017. Ever, yeah. So. Um, um, yeah, it was. It wasn't like stiff as you know a Mick Foley head shot, but it is still. I was just like, oh man, it makes me hurt to see that. 
And then Undertaker grabs like the like the middle school chair, the plastic chair, and hits him with it. Too. I thought that was cool. <laughs> I guess the, some the timekeeper, somebody was out there in that wheelchair, yeah. and they bring that out. That was funny. Um, I wrote this. This is already we're like three minutes in, and it's already more intense than the rest in peace match. Like they've already done more with no DQ in this match than yeah. than they did in that. And there's well, still more to come. Yeah. Uh, Undertaker or Yoko gets the salt from the ceremonial salt bucket and tosses that in the eyes and. And uh, the Undertaker and the people in the front row. <laughs> <laughs> it's no DQ, no, man. Like it's Undertaker. It's no DQ. Yeah, they know they know sold it though. Yeah, <laughs> the people in the front row know sold it. Sure. <laughs> They're going back and forth, nonstop action. Uh, crowds chanting USA. Um, <laughs> yeah. He rolls Undertaker to the casket, puts him in, and uh, but as before he can close the casket, he grabs Joe Kazuna's ankle and you know, hits his comeback here and. He hits about eight throat shots, like straight <laughs> in the throat. But then out of nowhere, Yokozuna is a belly to belly, and I was like, "That was awesome to see." So again, like you said, they don't let up the intensity. You know, Mm-mm. they're going. You know, and they don't. It's not a lot of standing around and posing and stuff. So yeah. it was good. Taker sits uh, up and hits a. I call it a a choke slip and fall. Like <laughs> slip and slide. Yeah. <laughs> Tries tries to do a choke slam, but Yoko just pretty much falls backwards. Yeah, it's not his fault. So. Um, it, yeah, it was like a literal slip on a banana peel almost. Like, yeah. It looked like he just fell. So, but again, not his fault. Yoko's yeah. a big guy. Yeah. He went for it. So. And Yoko immediately gets up from that though. So this he's get, he's getting put over here. Oh, he's unstoppable. But then. Uh, Chokeslam couldn't do the job, but the running DDT gets mm-hmm. the job done here. I mean, mm-hmm. you'd have thought he DDT'd him on the asphalt. He just <laughs> lays there. And uh, uh, Paul Barron races the urn, and Taker gets up and hits the... Is this the first time he's done the throat slash, too? He did the throat slash right here, like where, you know... Okay. Kind of like to do before the um, tombstone. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I must have been camera. writing my notes. I didn't see him do that. So. Well, it's it's a weird camera shot. It's from, it's like from behind the casket, so you can't like see it. It's not okay. like a hard camera shot. Yeah, it might have been the first time. Yeah. Then, uh, uh, rolls him in the casket, and um, I don't know if Crush missed his cue or something, because <laughs> uh, like Undertaker, he doesn't shut the lid. Right. Walks outside of the ring and like goes like he's gonna shut the lid from behind right and waits for crush to interfere uh we saw the foreign hawaiian crush who's uh the international from hawaii yeah he's evil <laughs> and you can tell he's evil because he has a goatee now sure um, yeah he's aligned with fuji and um fuji and jim Cornette now and he comes out to rescue Yokozuna and stop Undertaker from closing the casket. Yeah, yeah, they're back in the ring, and it doesn't really last very long because Taker takes them out pretty easily. But uh, then Kabuki comes out. The great Kabuki. Then, yeah, the great Kabuki, and then Tenru is out there. Who in the since the since Survivor Series, uh, Mr. Fuji has, you know, uh, contracted them to come to WWF to help them. You know, I guess as protection for Yokozuna or something. He's kind of they're kind of loosely aligned with him, I believe. So. I think um, they were. Um, they didn't say it on this, but 
remember as a kid, I think they were brought in originally for the Royal Rumble, because they're in the Royal Rumble match too, to stop yeah. Lex Luger from winning the Royal Rumble, because uh, they didn't want him right. to win the Royal That's, Rumble. Yeah. And so then they ended up using them too to help Yokozuna. So the, yeah, they're aligned with Mr. Fuji, yeah. uh, and and they come out, takers takes it, taking them all out. Um, doing work on everybody here. Yeah. Bam Bam Bigelow's out next. Bam Bam comes oh. out next, and it's five, five, five against one. Exactly. Yeah. And Yokozuna's still in the casket, mind you. That didn't think it was a, <laughs> yeah. a, a, atrocious. So yeah. Um, and then at this point, Mr. Fuji has the urn. Yeah. And then now, I was saying that, I wrote, unfortunately, it's off camera, because I've been putting over their production right. and how they usually catch everything, but for some reason, they, they just missed this spot. You yeah. don't see how he got it, but, and in fact, I think Vince says, how did he get that? So, um, he was, I'm sure he was angry that they missed that, because he's watching his monitor, so, um, but anyway, we don't see it, but then Bear gets his, he gets his spots in here. Yes. Kicks Fuji and hits him in the head with the urn, and then he nails Cornette from behind. So the shot of Fuji like cradling the urn yeah. with his evil smile is just pure gold. Yeah, it's oh yeah, just so cartoonish. It, yeah, it reminded me of Vince sticking his eyes over the when he fought Hogan. How cartoony that was at WrestleMania. Yeah. Sticks his little eyes over and just I, I, I got taken to you know taken back there. It was like call. a cartoon, like an yeah. evil villain, <laughs> a cartoon. Uh, he, uh, he he raises the urn up, gives the power back to the Undertaker, who keeps fighting back. Um, Bam Bam gets the salt bucket and, and tries to hit Undertaker, but misses. And then Adam Bomb brings yeah. out the phase two of the reinforcements, along with Double Freaking J coming out. Double J E Double R E Double T. Uh huh. Comes out. And then Samu and Fatu are out. The head shrinkers are out. Um, oh, Yokozuna's man. cousins, I guess. Yeah, and just man, how small is Rikishi here? You know. I, I, yeah, you can't believe he looks it's the like same a guy. different guy. He looks like the Usos, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like if the mm-hmm. Usos put on forty pounds, that's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. But um, man, yeah. So it's nine on one at this point. Nine on but, one. Uh, Taker keeps fighting. Yeah, the story told here, you know, because Bear keeps raising the urn. They keep selling this power of the urn. What's in the urn? It gives him his power. He keeps raining. He sits up and is fighting all of them. They're really putting over his mystique and his aura here. And the crowd, there's no diminishing returns here. The crowd pops every yeah, single time. Yeah, they're into it. Comeback. You know, a lot of times you see the same thing over and over again, and the crowd just gets tired. Not here, man. Not in four. They are hot for the Undertaker. Um, and now, your boy, Big Daddy well, Cool. Big Daddy comes Cool comes out. I say your boy because you had that awesome. Is that Halloween outfit? Yes. Yeah, with the glove and everything? Oh, man. So we'll get good. to that when we get to Undertaker yeah. vs. Diesel. We'll save, save that. that later. But he save comes in, and it's, I love Diesel. Yeah. I love Diesel. I love Kevin Nash. But. He puts uh, puts the heels over the top here, and um, I guess 10 against 1 was too much for Undertaker. <laughs> I, where, are, where are the Undertaker's friends? Like, where is no. his teammates from Survivor Series? Where are the Steiner brothers? Where is Lex Luger? I was going to say, uh, I've been putting over the storytelling here, and that was my one drawback. Yeah. Like, how do they, where the heck are the Steiners? Where's Lex Luger? You know, where is literally anybody else? Yes. Not one face no. in the back came out to help him. I don't know. I don't remember. No to, none of the guys that. that were feuding with any of these other mm-hmm. 10 guys? No Tatanka? No. No, uh, uh, no, nothing. So, that was my only, you know, that 
that this you know irks me that they didn't really have a you know explanation for that. But again, I guess that I guess they just wanted Vince wants to tell the story here of how powerful Undertaker is, and um, you know because he he takes all this and gets a little bit of you know comeback you know here. But at this point, he's out. You know they put him in the casket and he tries to pop out before they shut it and they get a huge pop and. Oh wait, wait, wait! Yokozuna steals the urn. At one point, hits Undertaker with it, and then takes the lid off, and the the green smoke comes pouring out. Billowing out of it, yeah. Which is a really, I mean, definitely as a kid, I thought that was a really cool-looking special effect. Um, uh, We talked, which maybe this Tuesday in Texas, I think, the Undertaker, I mean, sorry, the urn, Hulk Hogan opened the urn then, and... There was yeah. just some gray ashes in there, but yeah. they've upgraded, or yeah. the power source has changed to this green smoke. Well, he's got solid liquid and gas, different form, forms of matter in there, I guess. You know, I guess there you go. <laughs> this is the gaseous state. It depends on depends on the temperature outside. Yeah, so, yeah, but and, and that's says, go ahead. I was saying that the power of the urn is escaping, which perhaps means you know he's losing power, and I just wrote that. There's no subtlety there. <laughs> no. They don't leave anything up. They're going to spell it out for you. So, um, And that's how the Undertaker sells it. I mean, yeah. as soon as like oh, yeah. that smoke comes out, he's just dead out there. He doesn't move. He lays down, and he can't do anything. Uh, and then, like you said, that everyone jumps on him, wheels him up, rolls him over to the casket, bam, bam. They move to him. Yeah, oh, yeah, they hit all their spots. It yeah. reminded me of the four-post massacre from Raider Rumble. Oh, yes. <laughs> Yes, we'll get to that absolutely. in a special bonus episode, maybe. <laughs> so, uh, no, we won't. I'm kidding, guys. But, um, yeah, yeah, they just all hit their big move. It was like the Nexus, you know, and to put yeah. something, you know, more recent. That is a good comparison. Yeah, it's really like the Nexus. They just hit, they're hitting all their big moves on him, and Sam and Fatu are coming off the top rope, and I think Double J did, like, an elbow or something, and they're all just... He's so out of place here. Like, <laughs> all these <laughs> tough guys... Head shrinkers, Bam Bam Bigelow, Diesel, and then Jeff Jarrett and his tinsel and flashy cut. Like, what? Yeah. Why are you he out there? He doesn't fit. So. Uh, but yeah, then they roll him in there, and like you said, he's not moving at all. And the crowd, you notice the crowd starts clapping here. Yeah. Try to like you would like you're in a headlock, you know, and they try to get the, the face back to you know give him some. Oh yeah, power. they're devastated. The crowd starts doing that, starts clapping, trying to get him to revive, and he doesn't. Did you notice who closes the lid? Uh, was, was it Bam Bam? Yeah. Bam Bam gets on the lid. And he like lays on top of it? Yeah. yeah. He lays on it. They lock it. So. And then they kind of roll him out. All the heels do like almost yeah. like they're pallbearers at Undertaker's mm-hmm. funeral. They all have their hands on the casket. Uh, it was a cool bitch. Rolling him out. It was cool. Um, the announcers are all serious. Like this is the end of the Undertaker. Then the yeah, gong rings. Says, to say the very least, we won't be seeing him for quite some time. So right. I'm like, well, how about we telegraph the next seven months of WWE programming? Yeah. So, More subtlety there. Yeah. <laughs> and then the fun begins. Oh, yes. The same green smoke that was coming out of the urn starts to pour out of the casket. The gong rings. The lights go out. The fans pop huge. And we get uh, we get casket vision on the big screen. <laughs> Yeah, GoPro. Man had GoPro in there. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's called an Ico GoPro. Anyway. <laughs> Too yeah, much. We get Gasket Pigeon. He's a uh, he's a uh, FaceTime up to the t- the Titan. <laughs> <laughs> you get to see 
the Undertaker in there, and he looks like he's dead. Um, and then all of a sudden, the camera, he makes his face look at the camera, and he says, uh, Be not proud. The spirit of the Undertaker lives within the souls of all mankind. <laughs> Are you going to add this clip in there? <laughs> I think it's better if you just read it. <laughs> okay, I'll, go, I'll start again. Be not proud. The spirit of the Undertaker lives within the soul of all mankind. The eternal flame of life that cannot be extinguished. The origin of which cannot be explained. The answer lies in the everlasting spirit. Soon all mankind will witness the rebirth of the Undertaker. I will not rest in peace. Thank now, you for that. Now that is some pre Bray Wyatt stuff right there. Yes. You know? What's he talking about? <laughs> I, none of that means anything, but it sounds really cool. It does, especially when I'm seven years old watching this. Yeah. The audience is just wrapped with attention watching him make this big speech. Like you said, they're telegraphing. I mean, we didn't know back then, but right. Undertaker is going on uh, his first hibernation period uh, <laughs> to recharge. Um, I don't really know why. They've probably talked about it on some other podcast, Pritchard's show, and some other interviews. I don't really remember why he's gone from this point until SummerSlam. Maybe just to like heal up some yeah, injuries like or something. Just to just you know to heal up. Vince just gave him time off because he'd just kind of been you know been there doing what he was doing for whatever three and a half years now. So he just gave him some time off for some nagging injuries. Yeah, that's all I could find. So. Um, but man, they and they, they went do it all in a big way. Production. Yeah, the the lights kind of crackle like thunder, lightning. Uh, there's a big explosion. The, the screen turns from the view inside the casket into some weird silhouette type X-ray. View. X-ray. Yeah, that's what. It, that's right. It's like you take a picture and you, you put it on a negative. Yes. It looks like that. <laughs> that describes it way better than I did. Uh, the And then Undertaker begins to raise up out from the top of the screen, and I should say Undertaker in quotation marks, as he, that some someone in an Undertaker outfit floats into the heavens you know who it is? out of the screen. Well, the the rumors have always been Marty Jannetty, and yeah. I, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know either. Uh, I think when they did this episode on uh, something to wrestle, I think Pritchard said that wasn't true, but he also. Doesn't always know what he's talking about either. So, right. But that, yeah, I'm that is what I always read forever. Yeah. Was that it was Marty Jannetty, and it's more fun to think that it was. So, yes. Let's just say that yeah. it was. <laughs> so yeah, he levit. But I mean, they he levitates out of the you know out of the back of the Titantron up into the sky, and um, again, I usually give put them over for all their production. But man, I couldn't, I couldn't see very well. It is hard to see. There was a blinding light like behind him. I know what they're trying to go for, but they uh, they couldn't get a good camera angle. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I, w- I went back and watched it like three or four times, and we were just trying to see. But you know, you you get to see him his silhouette, you know, go up, but you don't really. It's not as good as even did nowadays. It would be beautiful. It would be perfect. Know, be yeah. awesome. But you know, it's okay. You know, but maybe they didn't want to give away those Marginetti in there <laughs> or whomever it was. Well, they went for it big time. Uh, yeah. It's over the top. It's. Um, it it, it kind of ends. Paul Bearer comes back to the casket. He retrieves the urn. Uh, he's selling it huge and yeah. vamping to the crowd, big time. Like you always say to the to the top of the to, 
uh, top yeah, of the building. Holding the urn up, he's almost shaking it to the crowd like Al Snow would head, you know? Like yeah. holding it up to like, like Al Snow would do the head. You know, he's holding it like that, and the crowd's cheering, and he looks like at the apparition, Vince says. I didn't know Vince knew what an apparition was, so <laughs> good job. And then DiBiase goes, this is not natural. I'm no. Like, you think? He you is, think, think he is blown away by this. Yeah, it's just not natural. Paul rolls um, the casket away, and I, I said, this felt like the end of the first part of a movie, like a, a yeah. three-part or a two-part movie or something like that. And as, as the hero has been defeated, but we know he's going to come back, and his sidekick like re- retreats back to to help him heal him figure out the next step of their battle plan or whatever um Very true. it was it was cool um and i guess like... go ahead oh go ahead well i was gonna say i guess this is is this the first time we've really seen like the supernatural superpower aspect of undertaker because you know we've seen yeah. him sit up and he definitely takes a beating much differently and, and is able to recover differently but like this is to another level where we're oh yeah he's like speaking from beyond right the casket well, and, and levitating in a casket and now it's not yeah you know yeah he can teleport and yeah but yeah you're right he's yeah he's he's always been has a mystique around but this is the first time you really see the supernatural aspect yeah. of it you know they're taking the character to a different sort of territory here oh, yeah. which they do in many more different ways over the next next uh couple decades three years yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah but um you know this wasn't a, again it wasn't an in-ring masterpiece no five stars from dave Meltzer, i'm sure but um good storytelling man that's you know sometimes that's all like you know all it needs to be is good it can be a you know well let's look at the rock and hulk hogan at wrestlemania 18 not a masterpiece. Great storytelling, though, you know? Yeah. This wasn't that, but I'm just saying, the story The story gets over here. You you build, Yokozuna doesn't lose, you know? Yeah, it took 10 guys to beat the Undertaker, you know? He lost his power because the urn was, got all the all the gas was let out of the urn, you know? But then here he goes, he goes on to the, the great unknown. You know, he levitates out of the, um, out of the, uh, out of the arena, and, you know, he'll be gone for a little while, and, but he, he doesn't look bad in defeat here, you know? No, I mean, it took 10 guys to defeat him. You know, they, I thought yeah, they kept a heck of a pace during the match when they were actually, yeah. when it was just, I don't know, did you write the time down or anything like uh, that? Four, it's 14 minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah. Like total, but honestly, the, only about eight minutes of that is them too. Yeah, I was going to say probably six or, six or seven, seven, something like yeah, that. Yeah, is the 10 on one attack. So. But they go all out for those first few minutes and, and then we yeah. get into the... You know, there's a lot of criticism. There's a lot of people that don't like this match, that think it's overbooked, over the top. And I mean, I understand that. Like you said, sure. it's not a, uh, it's not, um, not a technical wrestling match by any means. And it is, um, you know, you compare it to a lot of stuff you might see today, and it's, it's very different, very much over the top, uh, very theatrical. Uh, but that is. What the Undertaker does best, I feel like, is, is the is the theatrical. And in his later years, uh, we'll get to this. You know, um, he is. We get to see him show off more of the in-ring uh, technical aspects uh, of his of his work. But you know, the, yeah. 
I've got a soft spot for this match, and I'll probably say that yeah. a lot more about these older mid '90s uh, Undertaker things. But it's well, it's well done. They're Undertaker and Yoko are both all in it. The uh, the crowd is in it. The crowd, the, the crowd time. loves it, which just gives it a great time. atmosphere. Um, it's it's worth watching, absolutely. Uh, even if you're just gonna laugh at it, uh, that's sure. fine. Yeah, <laughs> okay. it can be comedy if you want, or you can actually, you know, see the enjoyability of it too. Yeah, I forget they made this in Providence, Rhode Island. Did they even go to Providence, Rhode Island anymore? I don't, I don't feel like I heard them go to Rhode Island yeah. a long time, but it's January twenty second in Providence, Rhode Island, so in the Civic Center. So, um, I love watching the crowds in all these matches too. Oh, there's some. Fantastic fans. Yes. Yeah, so there you go. Royal Rumble 94, and we will pick back up with a, you know, that. This, I think, was a really fun uh, theatrical storytelling. Our next one might be the uh, opposite of that, but uh, (laughs) I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen SummerSlam 94, so I'm going to give it fresh eyes, give it a fresh chance, and. Uh, see what's in there, but we'll see. We'll cover the whole build up to it. Uh, there's Paul, a lot of build Even though Undertaker's gone, there's a lot of build up. A lot know? of build up. Um, yeah, which is going to be fun to, to reminisce and, and watch and talk about too. So, yep. If you were at World Rumble Night Four, please let us know. <laughs> please let us know. Um, let us know what you thought of this match. Going back with it, uh, please subscribe to our our podcast on your favorite listening service, be it iTunes or google play youtube uh we should be on stitcher by the time that this comes out hopefully so that's a new one that we're on uh, you can follow Please. us on twitter uh at talking taker uh, you can follow me at alex dorio and you can like us on facebook as well at talking taker on facebook we just launched our facebook page this week so if that's your favorite social media platform go like us over there we'll be posting the episodes clips photos youtube videos all sorts of stuff over there we really appreciate it if you like us on facebook talking taker uh we'd love to connect with you uh i'm just trying to trying to put out some questions out there about about the matches we'd love to hear your feedback on them we'd love for you to like we said watch along with us you know exactly where we're going so uh watch the match with us um during the week and i try to put some promos some of the build-ups some i try to find some interesting stuff on youtube and, and put that on the twitter uh during the week some maybe some promos from shows like superstars or, or little things you uh you probably forgot about or, or didn't see or i forgot I, I try to find some hidden gems on there building up these matches that, that are pretty fun to watch so check that out on twitter if you haven't already um and what was this yeah pray for me because when this comes out i'll be uh the next day, I'll be running my first ever full marathon. So, uh, right. yeah, by the time you're listening to this, hopefully I, I'm still alive. And I might need <laughs> yes. to go into Undertaker hibernation. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you may we'll need see. a seven-month hiatus. Like, yeah. he's about to take. But. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, that's exciting. You got anything else, buddy? I just want to say, ladies and gentlemen, take her easy.